0: Well, you may be one of those people who starts a lot of jobs, but you have a tough time finishing them. Maybe you have multiple projects going on, but you haven't finished one of them. You know, Esther chapter 8 is about finishing the job. She's done some of the tough stuff, Mordecai has too, but there's more to do. There's a little bit more grunt work, a little bit more detail that has to be taken care of. And that's what today's about, finishing the job, finishing well, today on Walking Truth.
1: Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
0: In many ways, the decree of death moves from the book of Esther to all of mankind. All of mankind is under the decree of death. The Bible says it's it's destined for a man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. It says, the wages of sin is, what? Death. We all die. De- death is no respecter of persons. There's a decree of death that has spread to all mankind, because we are the seed of uh, Adam, if you will. And death has spread. Romans 5:12, because of that first sin, there's a death sentence on all of us. There's a decree. It's, in many ways, irrevocable. Something has to happen to deal with it. And uh, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, cancels out the decree of ordinances and so forth that was written against us, and he nails that to the cross. One writer that I read this week has suggested that had Esther come clean earlier, perhaps Mordecai would have been elevated earlier. Uh, She hid her Jewishness for some five years. And I think that's simply conjecture because we have to remember that God is providential over the story. But do you think that it's possible that we could save ourselves some pain and some extra cleanup if we would come clean earlier on some things? It's very hard to come clean, isn't it? It's very hard to admit that you were wrong Or that something has to change. So Esther spoke again, verse 3, to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite. Again, we're reminded of the ancient battle between the Amalekites and the Jews, which we talked about in the opening of this book, and his plot, which he had devised against the Jews. Now, they could be happy and Mordecai and Esther could say, okay, cool, things are worked out for us, great, but it's not good enough that they have you know, had this lifted and Haman has now been dealt with. They are concerned about the people and so should we be too. It should not be enough for us that we are now okay. That the decree of death has been lifted from us. It should be that we are now trying to tell other people where to find life. Amen? Amen. We are witnesses of life. We are ambassadors of hope as though God were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. Look for opportunities every day to see how you might share that message of life and hope. Notice the position of Esther. She is she's been cool through the whole thing with the two banquets and the dinners, but now she simply falls at the feet of the king. She's weeping, she's begging. To have this evil removed, to have the plot lifted from the Jewish people, and the king, a sign of grace as we 've studied in the past, extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. She had come with a burden. I want to show you uh, hold your place in Esther. turn to Romans chapter nine for a moment. Romans chapter nine. When I saw esther 's um, appeal here, i couldn 't help but think of a verse that grabbed me. Romans nine, uh, very early as a Christian, and here's what the apostle Paul says, and he's he's saying it about the Jewish people. <clears throat> Romans nine one. He says, "I'm telling the truth in Christ." Romans nine one. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish Romans nine three that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, the promises, whose are the fathers or the patriarchs, and from whom is the Christ. And remember, this book is about uh, saving a people from whom the Messiah would come. So we have a stake in the book. Whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. Essentially, Paul says, if it were possible, I would give up my own salvation, that my people would be saved. Would you like just an inkling, a little bit of that kind of passion for the lost? I would encourage you tonight to be praying that God would give you a heart like Paul for the people of your city, the people of your family the people of your company. I would would challenge you and I challenge myself to ask God to renew in you a passion for the lost. It's part of what makes the Christian life exciting. Go to Romans 10, look at verse one. Romans 10, verse one, as Paul continues this, he says, brethren, my heart's desire, Romans 1, and my prayer to God for them, that is Israel, is for their salvation, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? To everyone who believes or trusts in the Lord Jesus. Back to the book of Esther. And so the picture of the scepter going forth, back to Esther 8, is a picture of the grace of God. A prayer that the Lord wants to answer is a prayer for the lost, a prayer for opportunities to evangelize. He will give grace and we can approach him boldly coming to the throne of grace to find uh, help in time of need. I'll tell you this. uh, I've probably over my years as a Christian prayed amiss about a number of things. But one prayer I never know I can go wrong with is to ask God to help me to clearly and boldly proclaim his gospel so that people can be saved. I think you can pretty much have a guarantee that God will answer that prayer. Help me to fearlessly proclaim the truth as I ought is what Paul prays for in Ephesians 6. He asks for prayer in regard to that. And so Esther is respectful, formal, she says, verse five, if it pleases the king, if I found favor before him and the matter seems proper to the king and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hammedatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. She says, would you reverse these letters of death and would you write letters of life? At one point we had, the sentence of death hanging over us. Now in Christ, we are alive because he who has the son has the life, amen? He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. She says, how can I endure? Think of Paul in Romans 9. How can I bear to see the calamity which shall befall my people, that is the Jews? And how can I endure or bear to see the destruction of my kindred? In essence, if you love me, If you say that you grant your favor to me, if indeed you are on my side, then please, I will be miserable. If I'm okay and Mordecai's okay, but my people are still gonna perish, I can't live with that. I can't bear to see that. And that is what drives evangelism, my friends, brothers and sisters. There's one word that drives evangelism and the word is love, compassion. It's to try to get the message of hope And it's not easy, but trying to get the message of hope to unbelievers. She said, how could I bear this? How could I endure this? How could I go on if this happens to my people? I would be wrecked. Moses said to God in Exodus 32, 29, now if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of your book which you have written. It seems that the closer that people get to God, The more they have a passion to see others know him. Because to know him is to know that which the psalmist says is better than life itself. It's to know your creator. And so King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, seven, and to Mordecai the Jew Behold, I've given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. I think the king is trying to take the easy way out here. I think he's saying, look, I've done everything I can. Haven't you noticed? Haman's over there hanging on the gallows. He may still be there. And I gave you his estate, and you've given it to Mordecai. What more do you want from me, woman? Did Haman hang because of his evil edict against the Jews? Well, technically, he did not the king found an excuse to deal with Haman when he walked into the room and Haman was falling down next to uh, the queen on the couch. And what did he do? He basically accused him of rape and got himself off the hook because he was responsible for the edict. He had given the signet to it. He should have read it before he signed it or before it, it had been signed. Have you ever had one of those things where you're signing about you know, 300 documents to buy something. You're like, I don't care what it says anymore. (laughs) I don't care if I just sign my grandchildren away. Get me out of (laughs) here. Been there, done that. Only by the grace of God go I. I support you, honey, but what more can I do? You've got all the stuff. And so he says this. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit. This king is always trying to delegate. In the king's name, now you can use my name just as Haman did, and seal it with the king's signet ring. I gave it to Mordecai. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Remember that law of the Medes and Persians? irrevocable. Now what do we got going on here? We got an irrevocable law that needs to be dealt with by another irrevocable law, both signed with the signet Signet ring of the king. And how does this work? Uh, Two laws that contradict each other, now going down the pipeline. May the best edict win, I don't know.
1: How does this work? You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this, yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
0: Haman's over there hanging on the gallows. He may still be there. And I gave you his estate and you've given it to Mordecai. What more do you want from me, woman? Did Haman hang because of his evil edict against the Jews? Well, technically, he did not. The king found an excuse to deal with Haman when he walked into the room and Haman was falling down next to uh, the queen on the couch. And what did he do? He basically accused him of rape and got himself off the hook because he was responsible for the edict. He had given the signet to it. He should have read it before he signed it or before it, it had been signed. Have you ever had one of those things where you're signing about you know, 300 documents to buy something? You're like, I don't care what it says anymore. <laughs> I don't care if I just sign my grandchildren away. Get me out of here. Been there, done that. Only by the grace of God go I. I support you, honey, but what more can I do? You've got all the stuff. And so he says this. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit. This king is always trying to delegate. In the king's name, now you can use my name just as Haman did, and seal it with the king's signet ring. I gave it to Mordecai. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring, May not be revoked. Remember that law of the Medes and Persians? Irrevocable. Now, what do we got going on here? We got an irrevocable law that needs to be dealt with by another irrevocable law. Both signed with the signet signet ring of the king. And how does this work? Uh, Two laws that contradict each other. Now going down the pipeline, may the best edict win. I don't know. How does this work? Well, the king, and this is part of the satire of the book, the king is powerless to undo a law that was created in his name. And there is such a thing as bureaucratic red tape, and it sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? It seems that our own government struggles to get anything done because it seems to me that it's more about politics and popularity than it is about getting stuff done. And that's the sad reality. Now you write, as you see fit, I'll give you the authority. I'm not even gonna proofread this one as well. You would think this guy would proofread documents now that go out in his name, but you go ahead, write it in my name, and uh, the law can't be revoked. And so immediately the scribes go to work. The king's scribes were called, verse 9. At that time, in the third month, that is the month of Sivan. That's our uh, May, June. It's the, uh, in the third month, that is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. So just a side note, verse 9 of Esther 8 is the longest verse in the Bible. So notice it says, The 23rd day, it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded. So he's the author. Haman was the author of the first one. To the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. So just a side note for those of you interested, 70 days have passed from Haman's decree, his initial decree, till now. 70 days. Mordecai gets to counter the evil plan. He cannot undo it, so he has to try to find a way to nullify it. And that's what God did for us in the gospel. Death is something that we all have to deal with, but Jesus undoes it by his own death and resurrection, right? He defeats death by dying on the cross for us. He sheds his blood to counter the law of sin and death. And so, now the edict is being written, it's being put together, and there is great haste to get it out, uh, this counter law. He wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet. verse 10, sent letters by couriers on horses, riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. In them, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble, to defend their lives, to destroy to kill and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. In one day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar. Now this day that all of this is supposed to happen is still eight months away. So the actual day of death is in the future. Nobody knows the day of their own death, right? Um, You know, if if we knew it, it would freak us out probably. But it might give us a little bit more urgency about how we live as well. Because sometimes we have this mindset that we're going to live forever. So we have plenty of time to get stuff done and tell people how we feel and, you know, deal with stuff. But the truth is we don't. And so if you have an NIV... Let me read a text note. The NIV obscures the lex talianos, I'll explain in a moment, nature of this section by making their women and children in 811 refer to the Jews who are under attack, not the families of their aggressors. Uh, So what's the deal? Why is this this way? And I'll just save you some reading. There's a lot of consternation about this edict among scholars and commentators. And some taters are more common than others. So, just so you know, that was from, never mind. I guess you didn't think it was funny, but anyway. (laughs) Potatoes, never mind. (laughs) And here's why, because the mention of women and children, this difficulty of some sort of script authored by Mordecai, to do such a thing as the middle of verse 11 says. But remember that what is written here is directly to counter the edict of Haman. Turn over to 3.13. Take a look. Chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what it says. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old. That's one thing that's left out of Mordecai's version women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to seize their possessions as plunder. Essentially, Mordecai takes the exact language of Haman's evil decree and swings it around to write a decree to offset it by giving the Jews the right to do the same as would be done to them. This is the idea of lex. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? Here's what I mean. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, kind of uh, payback. You could call it divine retribution. You could call it the law of the Torah, the Old Testament. In fact, if you're interested, look this up later. Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25, talk about this. And it even says, burn for burn, tooth for tooth. You knock somebody's tooth out, It's going, baby. This was the law. Now, Jesus addresses this in Matthew 5.38, and you can take a look at that in your own leisure time. But here's the struggle. The struggle is, is an edict going forth that the Jews have the right to destroy and plunder these people? Well, think about it. The only people they're supposed to be able to do this to is people who what? Attack them. So they're in a defensive posture to begin with. And whenever someone's coming after you, you have to decide what you're going to do, right? And here the, there's the idea of a payback. In uh, the same measure you want to give it out, it comes back to you. Who's a living example in the book that this has already happened to? Haman. It's already happened to Haman. And we all would say divine providence has orchestrated it. In fact, some of you last Wednesday were thinking, good tonight, Haman hangs tonight. Now, how many of you have to admit that the bad guy at the end of the movie when he falls off the building or somebody gives him his just desserts, you're like, good, good for you. Fall and splat on the ground while you're at it. Wait a minute, are you a Christian? That's not a very Christian thing to think. But do you know that divine retribution is something that's coming to our planet? Do you know that Jesus Christ is going to come on a horse with a sword and he is going to deal with the rebellious, unbelieving world and that's yet future? He's coming again and he's gonna deal with his enemies and the Bible does say that even his garments are gonna be spattered with their blood. You know, I know in the West, in a modern culture like ours, it may not be the easiest thing to understand or take, but God is a God of justice. And his justice was satisfied against you and me at the cross, but at no low cost. Jesus Christ takes the wrath of God at Calvary so you don't have to. God is holy and just. You know, this idea of love and justice can be difficult for us to wade through, but we need to be able to settle this question that we can have a desire for justice because God is a just God and still have love in our hearts. Even better, we have a way to explain it because love and justice intersect at the cross of Jesus Christ. God is a God of justice, but also compassion. And the more we get to know him, the more we learn about his heart in these matters. Well, again, brothers and sisters, friends, I'd like to remind you that we're soon dedicating our Friday programs to focus on answering your questions, questions your friends may have about the Christian faith. Maybe there's something you don't quite understand yet. Maybe there's something going on in the culture or society that is difficult for you to deal with, or you, you're you wondering, what does the Bible say about this? Well, we'd like to help you out, and we're going to do that on Fridays. If there's a topic that you'd like to hear us address, you can partner with us in getting a question on the table when you email it to answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com. Okay, so you're driving around and listening to these messages. The question is, what do you do next? My question is, are you going to church? If you're not, then I would like to urge you right now to change whatever you're doing, change your plans. Maybe you're going shopping. Maybe you're going out to eat. Maybe you can do that too. But make sure you prioritize getting into fellowship today. You see, everything else falls into place when you put God first. Now be sure to tune in on Monday to hear more from Esther chapter eight. We'll hear how the queen finishes the job of saving her people and how this story is so important for you and me day. Until then, may God richly bless you.
1: Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.